We're talking about failure today rather than the successes that God is providing. And I was reminded in a recent visit to Moody Bible Institute's campus of a spectacular failure in my history. We don't like to talk about our failures, but we need to sometimes so that we can learn from them, right? So by way of example, um, we were actually visiting the campus not long ago because my 17-year-old son is now a prospective student there, which is really, really cool for dad because that's where I went to school way back in the day. And so as we were on the tour, we walked past their parking garage, downtown Chicago, uh, lots of buildings, lots of concrete, not very many trees or grass. And what they have at Moody is this uh, kind of a range. They assign some guys and some girls to what they call a bro-sis group. And it becomes your social network where they plan events and you eat meals together in the dining room. And, and it becomes the basis of your friendships when you get on campus. And that parking garage, the the roof of it the, and the concrete was the location of my first social event with my bro sis. The leaders of the event had brought together a hibachi grill and uh, some skewers and some meat and veggies and whatever. And, and uh, the idea was we'd grill up all this food and then sit around on the concrete and, and uh, eat it and talk and get to know each other. And so there we were. Once I finished my skewer, I thought this was the perfect opportunity to impress some of those girls that I was going to spend the rest of the year with. And what I came up with was a silly little trick that I learned back in the wrestling room in high school where I haven't done it in years and I'm not going to try it today, but I would push up uh, while in a seated position and then spin around and move upside down and then do a handstand and walk out my hands a little bit. And I thought that that would be a pretty cool little thing to do. What I forgot, I still had the skewer in my mouth. If you're squeamish, you might want to look away. When I rotated in it, to go upside down, I jammed the end of that stick into the concrete I was sitting on. Hard. Which meant the sharp end got jammed into the back of my mouth. I immediately realized how big I failed with the searing pain in the back of my head. And then it was doubled on when I tried to nonchalantly pull the stick out. And it wouldn't come. It was that stuck, I had to get up, leave the area, literally yank it out of the back of my mouth and then deal with the blood and the in injury. And it seemed like such a small thing at the time, but it could have been an even bigger problem than it was. And to this day, I have scar tissue and a little bit of a hole that still occasionally presents some physical problems for me because I failed to apply a piece of God's word that says, pride goes before a fall. And a haughty spirit before a hole in your head, evidently. And that colossal failure of mine reminded me of what we're talking about today. Because we're working through the story of Moses, this ordinary man who was used over and over by an extraordinary God to do amazing things. Last week, Pastor Brandt shared with us about the laws that God used Moses to deliver to his people. And he explained how and why God gave those laws and this week, we're going to see just how spectacularly those Israelites failed to obey the very laws that God had given. In fact, Moses was up on that mountainside for 40 days, receiving the 613 different laws, guiding every facet and detail of the Israelites' life in order for them to experience the very best that God had for them, rather than settling for less than that. By the time Moses came down from the mountain, before he could even present the laws to the people, they had already managed to break four of the Ten Commandments that God 
had revealed to them. Why is it that they failed so spectacularly and so quickly? Well, it turns out many of God's chosen people didn't really choose him as their God. You see, they wanted him to be their provider. And they liked the blessings that they got for him, from him, but they didn't like the idea of him being their God and having the right and power to tell them what to do. They'd accept all those blessings of the miracles, often worked by the hand of Moses himself. They loved getting his water when they needed it, and his, their, his, their, his food and his protection. But they refused time and time again to actually obey his word. If you think to the words of Jesus himself in the New Testament, he says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And it became evident very early on that many of those Israelites, God's chosen people, didn't do either of those things Jesus was talking about. They neither loved God nor kept his commandments. And it was evidenced by their failure to do so. Theirs was an extraordinary failure to live up to the expectations of their God. And I want you to get this. It had massive consequences. If you look in Exodus chapter 32... I want to read an excerpt from uh, the first part of that chapter that explains one colossal failure of theirs. And when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Down to verse 4, then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Down to verse 6, The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking. They indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. And in verse 9, then the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. And then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Now this isn't just a random 3,000-year-old story that's only interesting if we find it so. We can learn from the extraordinary failure that God recorded in this historical event. In fact, that's exactly what he expects us to do as a result of these words from his word. He explains to us, those living in the new covenant, what we need to know about this failure. As we look from the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, turn with me to that passage. We'll be reading together a couple verses here in a moment. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our, ancient, our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the same spiritual water, receiving blessings from the hand of God. He says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. A side note for the, those of you who are students of the word, here's an interesting appearance of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament. 
Moving on, though, in verse 5, yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with fat feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. A collection of failures to obey the word of God, preserved for us not just to entertain us with a story, but to teach us something important. Each member of the nation of Israel had enjoyed God's blessings, but few of them actually chose God as their Lord and obey his commands. And that had consequences. We saw some of them there. And here's the lesson for us. Would you stand with me if you're able to do so and read out loud together from God's word? We'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Would you join with me proclaiming God's word out loud? Here we go. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us to live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Would you join with me in prayer that God would be our teacher today? Father, we need more than just a sermon or songs to sing or an entertaining story from a book. If we want to live the way you intended, if we want the best life available to us, it's not just live for us, but live for you and live your way. So Lord, would you use this story to teach us something about our lives today? Would you allow us, especially if we think we're standing strong today, to be careful not to fall? And to trust in you to get us through even our biggest failures. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people gathered together in Walloon Church said in one unified voice, Amen. Amen. As you return into your seats, I want to just highlight for you the story here. Israel sinned against God. Repeatedly. The moral of the story for us, sin has consequences every time so maybe we want to do what god says instead of continuing to do whatever it is we want to do and let me ask you have you have you ever experienced god's blessings we saw that all of the nation of israel did have you of course we've all had the blessing of life and love and joy and even hardship sometimes we know that every good and perfect gift comes from where from the father above right and all of us have received his blessings showering down us like rain to a dry soil over and over and over and yet have you ever sinned have you ever chosen to enjoy his blessings but reject his word And the answer is, of course, yes, we all have, right? Go ahead and take a moment right now and take stock of the past week even. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, where have you fallen short of obedience to the God that you claim to follow? Chances are, each of us don't have to think very long 
in order to come up with a list there. And that's really a pretty ordinary experience for us humans because we all sin, right? Frankly, we all sin a lot. And yet, it's what we do about that reality that's going to make a huge difference in how we live and how we honor God and how we impact other people. So, knowing that we've all sinned, have you ever found yourself minimizing or explaining away or making excuses for the things you've done in direct disobedience to God's word? I suspect we all have. We say things like, yeah, I did that, or I'm about to do that, but it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. It's not my fault. Fill in your favorite excuse in the blank. And we come to convince ourselves, contrary to anything that God's word ever has to say, God's not going to provide consequences to me for my sin. That doesn't apply to me. And yet God is reminding us through this story from the life of Moses and the people he was trying to lead. Yes, yes, it does apply to me. Sin has consequences. That is what God is trying to teach us this morning from this passage in the story. You see, Israel had lots of reasons, they called them, we would call them excuses, for the sin of idolatry that they engaged in on this day, and the drunkenness that was a part of it, and the sexual immorality that they engaged in while they were waiting for Moses to come back down from the mountain to reveal God's law to them. We see some of those excuses right there in that passage in Exodus 32. In verse 1, they say, our leader's been gone a long time. We got nobody guiding us, so we got to make up our own path. Why would we do it God's way? In verse 4, they have this image that's been made by human hands, and they say, these are the gods. What they're doing is convincing themselves. We're really convinced that sin really isn't sin here. What God says, do not do, he really means go ahead and do. God is actually okay with what we're doing because we have taken the God that declares himself to be who he is and, and created them into our own image, and now we're defining our own rules. Skip down to verse 12. While God is warning them in this land of foreigners that are pagan uh, and, and idol worshipers, don't be like them. They're saying, everybody else is doing it. Let's be like the crowd and our neighbors around us. In fact, it wasn't just the pagans that were surrounding them and the culture nearby. Their own spiritual leader, Aaron, the priest, he was the one that actually enabled all of this sinful behavior. Talk about an excuse. Maybe you've been there before where a spiritual leader encourages you to do exactly the opposite of what God's word tells us to do. And Aaron... He had the richest, and by that I mean the most ridiculous excuses of all of them. If you look into that uh, account, that story of this colossal spiritual failure of the nation of Israel, when Moses calls him on the carpet, Aaron says in verse 22, it's not my fault. You know how evil these people are. They made me do it. Surely, Moses, you understand why it's not my fault. And then in verse 24, get this. He says, all I did was take all the gold that they gave me and I shoved it in the fire and out popped this idol. I had nothing to do with it. It was an accident. I just fell into it. Don't blame me. If any of those excuses from the nation of Israel or from their spiritual leader 
sound flimsy or even ridiculous, I think we need to challenge ourselves to consider, do we make the very same excuses for our behavior? Did God buy any of those excuses? Nope. If you look at Exodus 32, verse 5, whatever their reasons, the people faced consequences for their actions that they chose to engage in. In verse 10, they, all of the nation of Israel endured God, in God's anger as a response and consequence for their sinful behavior. If you skip down to verse 28, you see some of them actually died from the consequences. And it gets even worse than a question of life and death. Verse 25, we find that their failure became something that was much to the amusement of their enemies. We're not just talking about the uh, embarrassment and ridicule that the Israelites brought upon themselves. They managed to make God himself look bad in front of the unbelievers that surrounded them that needed to see an accurate view of the holiness and love of God most. And they saw just the opposite in his people. And then perhaps the most severe consequence has unfolded in Exodus 33, verse 3, when we're told that the relationship between them and their God suffered. Their spiritual connection, his presence in their place, his pleasure in them as his chosen people, their ability to experience pleasure in their relationship with him, all of it gone as a consequence of their choice to disobey his clear commands. They refused to obey him, and it impacted their relationship with him. And the very same thing happens each and every time we sin. That sin, it creates a division, a, a broken, severed relationship between the God who created us because he wants that relationship with us and loves us so passionately, he'd stop at nothing to provide for our greatest need of sin. And now we build up a wall between him and us all over again. The moral of this story Sin has consequences. Exodus 32, verse 34. It says, now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you, and I will, when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. If we think today that we can disobey God's laws with impunity, God will hold each and every one of us accountable for our sins. Now, of course, there was forgiveness to be had for the Israelites, just like there is for us. Their sin did have consequences, but that didn't mean they could never be restored. And yet, for them, those consequences lasted a lifetime. In this story, Moses actually went to bat for him. He interceded on their behalf. They confessed to their sin. Moses took that confession to God. God forgave. He restored, just as he promises that he'll do the same for us in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness. But some of those consequences remain with them, just like some of the consequences of our sin will remain when we engage in it, disobey God, and then seek forgiveness. 
You see, for them, each and every one of them died in the wilderness before they ever made it to the land that God had promised them. The moral of the story? Sin has consequences. Now, that was the nation of Israel with their spectacular failures. What about their leader, Moses? He's the one we're following most closely during this series. He was an ordinary guy who trusted in the extraordinary God, and, and God did amazing things, right? And so we can see in his life, he did love God. He did obey God consistently, right? Yeah. Mostly. Most of the time. But he had what we would call ordinary failures. The little slip-ups, the, the occasional uh, stepping off the path that God had. In the midst of an otherwise faithful and God-honoring life that we've been studying together, uh, Moses slipped up once in a while. Usually, it was when he was angry. And let's face it, he had good reason to be angry a lot of the time. And so, surely, we can excuse an ordinary man with normal, human, healthy emotions... For an occasional failure, right? A few little sins that are just a slightly off the mark, right? Surely that wouldn't result in consequences, at least not big ones. Turns out his ordinary sin had huge consequences as well. Extraordinary from our perspective. Because in order to understand this, you have to remember where we've been and, and the situation that Moses is in at this point in his life. You remember years before, he, he had been called by God in order to do a job that he didn't want, that he didn't feel qualified for, that he tried to talk God out of to lead the people to the promised land after departing Egypt. And the job, as Moses would soon find out, became harder than he ever imagined it would be before he got picked for it. Now he's doing the job the best he can, faithfully most of the time, and a couple of times he slips up. Like one story we're going to look at here in a minute. And in Numbers chapter 20, verse 3, we find years later, while Moses is doing this job he's not qualified for and didn't want to begin with, after Moses had stepped up and saved their lives and, and done such a great job of leadership for this nation time and time again, this ordinary man providing extraordinary leadership through the power of God, the people still blame him for every single thing that goes wrong. Numbers 20, verse 8, we find they're out of water again. And so God provides for their needs again. And he wants to use Moses to do it miraculously again. And so God says in Numbers 20, verse 8, Speak to the rock and I'll make water come out and meet the needs of my people. That's what God had commanded. Let's take a look at what Moses actually did. In Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 and 11, he's told, speak to the rock. Moses instead got mad, yelled at all the people, and then struck the rock twice. It's understandable why Moses would get fed up at this point, right? I'm sure every one of us would be pretty fed up in his situation. We get why he decided to yell at the people, and frankly, they probably deserved it. They needed a good chewing out at this point. A good leader might have chosen to do that. It even makes sense why he wants to hit some stuff, right? You've all been there, and sometimes the right inanimate object, that might be a good thing. So what's wrong with Moses's behavior here? It all fits in our expectations. Well, the problem is, in doing so, Moses was disobeying God's word. 
God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. He sinned. And sin has consequences. Every time. Often consequences that aren't what we expect. You see, in Numbers 20, verse 12, we're told the consequences. He says, but the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel by striking the rock instead of speaking to it, you will not lead them into the land I am giving you. It seems so small, insignificant even. We might explain it away 100 times out of 100 in our own lives or even in the lives of others around us because it's so understandable. But it too had extraordinary consequences. The reluctant leader who had been faithful for so long has now been relieved of his responsibilities before he has the opportunity to lead them across the goal line and, and into the promised land. The entire purpose of the journey to begin with. In fact, Moses would die in the wilderness just like those people that were so stubborn and disobedient that made it so hard for him to do his job of leading them to begin with. Does that seem fair to you? I ask because a lot of times it doesn't seem fair to me. I look at that and I say, come on, give the guy a break. It, and at least we think big sins have big consequences, or at least should. But little sins, they should only have little consequences. So give Moses an A- instead of an A- plus on this grading period. Don't fire him. Don't kick him out. Don't kill him in the desert. And yet, God's word shows us over and over again that consequences for sin are often different than what we expect, like in this story of Moses. In fact, watching the way the world works around us, this sow-what-you-reap kind of world that God created for us to live in, shows us the very same thing. Sometimes the consequences don't match our expectations. You ever seen how one person can commit adultery and nobody knows? It seems like it has absolutely no consequence whatsoever because they never get caught. But another person commits the very same sin. Somebody gets pregnant, one life created, and a marriage destroyed. Maybe you've seen one person that had just a few drinks, and they get in the car and they drive home, and everything works out fine. But somebody right next to them had only a couple of drinks, and they get in the car, and on the way home, they have a wreck and kill somebody. One life ended. The driver's life destroyed. Maybe you've heard a story about how one person, can, one pastor can embezzle money for years and get away with it. It seems like there's no consequences whatsoever. But another pastor cuts corners a little bit in the paperwork and the finances, and it creates a nationwide scandal. A church is destroyed. Countless followers of Jesus are disillusioned and confused when their spiritual leader goes astray. And God looks foolish in front of a watching world who needs to see him clearly. Our consequences don't always match our expectations. The moral of the story, all sin has consequences every time. And oftentimes different than what we expect. Sometimes it seems we're getting away with the big ones. And other times it seems like we're suffering unfairly from the littlest ones. 
And yet God clearly warns us that that's the way the world works. All sin has consequences, and we don't get to determine the severity of them. There's an oft-repeated quote, so much so that we don't even know the original author, that says, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. That's the moral of the story from the extraordinary failure of the nation of Israel, coupled right up against the little, ordinary failures of Moses, their leader. All sin has consequences. So what do we do about this? If we don't get to choose the consequences of our sin, maybe we ought to choose not to sin to begin with. Choose to obey rather than disobey. And then confess when you do fail. Don't excuse your sin by trying to make it seem like it's a little thing or it's okay or it won't have any consequences. In fact, earlier I asked you, have you sinned? this week? We all said, yeah, that's the answer. Every one of us has. Some of us might have even smiled and winked a little bit. Not a big deal. We all do it, right? Can we revisit that thought for a moment? Can we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into each and every one of our hearts this, this, this morning through the story, the historical account of God's chosen people who suffered extraordinary consequences for extraordinary sin? And God's leader, Moses, who suffered extraordinary consequences for a very ordinary sin. When we think, yeah, we all do it, and it's not that big a deal, let's keep moving on, we forget that we've gathered today in the presence of a holy and almighty God who says that he will hold every one of us to account. So many of us, and convince ourselves there are no consequences for sin, or at least for ours. Some of us have convinced ourselves that because of Jesus' grace and love and mercy on that cross, and because we have placed our faith in him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and therefore there will be no consequences so we can go on sinning. And Paul says, God forbid that we continue in that behavior, in part because it makes God look bad, and in part because there are consequences that make our lives bad. So perhaps now is the time to write the check of confession for whatever was going on in our lives this week. Perhaps now is the time to ask God for the strength to stand strong rather than fall again this week. That passage in 1 Corinthians that we read together goes on to say, temptations in your life are no different from what anybody else experiences and God is faithful he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted he will show you a way out so that you can endure maybe you're like Moses today you've been mostly faithful to the Lord you've been you've been working hard to do whatever he's equipped you to do and and your feeble human abilities with his great power behind you to to walk out in obedience whatever he's called you to do except for that one thing and the little slip up here and there the ordinary sins that it's so easy for us to explain away and think there will be no consequences so we don't have to deal with that. We get complacent and we think, hey, God's okay with that because I'm okay with it. And we go on our merry way and wonder why the consequences hit us when we least expect it. 
if you've been like Moses and it's the little things that have been getting you this week, can I encourage you to go back to 1 John 1, 9 right now? Confess your sin because the one who stands in judgment over every one of us who will hold us to account has already paid the price for that on the cross through Jesus Christ. And he will be faithful and just to forgive you of whatever it is you got into this week. And he's also able to give you a way out, a way of escape if that temptation comes your way this week. But be careful. If you think you're standing, be careful lest you fall. Maybe you're more like the nation of Israel. Many of them who didn't really even try to obey God's word. You've enjoyed their, his blessings, and maybe even his forgiveness and his salvation. And now you're taking all that for granted and taking it as license to go on living however you want. And maybe you're already facing some consequences for your own actions. That God said were coming, and now you're mad at him for making your life so difficult. He's chosen to love you. He wants you to be his child. And yet you're choosing not to let him be your God. Is it time now to let the Holy Spirit do that work in your life? To bring you back to a place of submission to a holy and almighty God that says, I want to be your God. I have the right to tell you what to do and I want you to willingly obey. Because it brings glory and honor to me. And because it prevents you from the consequences so that your life will be all that I meant it to be as well. Maybe you're even like some of those Israelites who never did choose God to be their God. They were rebelling from start to finish. Maybe you've never chosen him as your savior or your God. And maybe you're making excuses and reasons why, uh, because the world is the way it is, somewhat like the Israelites, and, and having all kinds of thoughts in your head on why you shouldn't choose God to be your God and Jesus to be your Savior. But meanwhile, you're still experiencing an awful lot of the blessings that all of us get in life from God. Can I point you to 2 Corinthians chapter 6? As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, and so far you've been rejecting God, even while you're sitting in a building that's supposed to be his church, will you allow him to make today the day of your salvation? By placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of whatever it is that you've done, contrary to the commands of his word. As we end today, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Let's pray together one more time. Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word, even when we don't like what you have to say. We're not always thrilled with the 
reap what you sow kind of world that you created for us. We're not always thrilled with knowing that consequences will come for our actions, both good and bad. We're not always real keen on the idea that a God who knows everything will hold every one of us to an account for what we do in response to you. But God, we're so grateful today for the abundant warnings you give us in your word, the clarity with which you tell us over and over and over what we sometimes choose to ignore. Sin has consequences. God, would you let your people who are gathered by your name today to all over again confess our sins before you and make you our God once again, submitting to your right to tell us what to do. Lord, would you nudge each person in this room who hasn't yet chosen you as their God and Savior that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.